welcome back to yet another episode of the Typeem. And it is the episode you have all been waiting for. Today we begin our coverage of season six. But before we do any of that, we have to introduce our hosts. This is Shannon, and I am joined as always by my co-hosts Andrea and Fred. Andrea, how are you? I am doing fantastic. Another uh, rainy weekend, so we'll see what that brings. Fingers crossed. Yeah. (laughs) Big time. And Fred, how are you doing? I am doing fantastic. Looking forward to digging into the meat of this episode. Heck yeah, it's been a long time coming. We're all very, very excited to talk about this. So... You know, we're about to start talking about season six, which we're all excited about, but I do want to make one thing a little bit clear. I will not tell you when we're recording this, but we are recording our season six episodes a little early. Uh, Some of you may remember that because we are technically press, we have press access to um, the screeners. Uh, And, you know, some people here uh, have... uh, some concerns about January. <laughs> so, so we thought we'd take this opportunity to kind of get ahead of everything, get everything recorded early so that, you know, you guys get your episodes. Some certain people don't stress, you know, trying to help everybody out. And I'm, and I'm pretty sure everybody wants to hear all of our takes. So <laughs> the, the more we get to do the episodes, the better. Could you imagine trying to record from, like, the hospital after the the bebe? <laughs> I won't say I, during or before. I will just say after the bebe. Could you imagine? I, I don't think I'd want to. <laughs> no, I don't think you'd want to either. So that's basically we're doing this for Andrea. For Andrea and the bebe. <laughs> Andrea and bebe. Um, so, yeah. So, like, full disclosure, if anything sounds weird or the fact that we're not including including listener uh, opinions just yet. But I may have a way to work that out, but we'll talk about that towards the end of the episode. Uh, but yeah, we just wanted to make that clear to you guys, full disclosure, like we did last season, um, that it might be a little, this might sound a little weird at first because we want to make sure that Andrew and Fred get to talk about uh, season six while they still can. <laughs> Yeah, and that way we can still drop the episodes day and date with the the release of each episode as they come out. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So we're marathoning uh, recording over here, which should be fun. Yes. <clears throat> so without further ado, Fred, why don't you start us off in our discussion of season six, episode one, "Strange Dogs"? Yeah. So let's break right into it. Um, the opening sequence is a throwback to the the novella Strange Dogs that was released uh, in between books six and seven back in 2017. Uh, and, and the little blurb goes as follows. Like many before them, Kara and her family ventured through the gates of scientists and researchers driven to carve out a new life and uncover the endless possibilities of the unexplored alien worlds now within reach. But soon the soldiers followed and under this new order, Kara makes a discovery that will change everything. So clearly this is um, uh, involving the new planet Laconia that were, were that was uh, uncovered at the end of season five and uh, really excited to see more about uh, this season. So we, we saw a little bit of 
and we'll talk about it more later in the episode, but we saw a little bit of the, the, the life that is there, the natural life, and how it's interacting with um, humanity. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about this one because I, uh, I have a movie reference that I want to touch upon. When I was watching this particular um, scene of the episode, so... All right. So when it comes to this episode, Strange Dogs was written by Naren Shankar. He um, he's a very prevalent um, voice on the Expanse, um, and it was directed by Breck um, Eisner. So in brief, six months after Marco's attack on the ring, rocks continue to be thrown at Earth. Avasarala surveys the damage while looking for a fight they can win. Marco takes series for the Free Navy as Philip struggles until his guilt and his pride, under his guilt and his pride. Drummer is haunted, or sorry, not haunted. Um, Drummer is hunted by bounty chips, um, and the Ross and Nante crew conducts a recon mission in the belt as cracks begin to show in the crew's relationship. And on the planet beyond the rings, a little girl looking for alien creatures makes a strange new friend. I mean, you weren't wrong, Andrea. She's also haunted by shit. Yeah. <laughs> like, She's haunted you're not by wrong. a lot of things. <laughs> Quite a lot of things. <clears throat> Um, sorry for my bo- voice, by the way, everyone. I might tell a story later that has something to do with it, but <clears throat> if you hear me clear my throat, please forgive me. I, I can't talk. <laughs> um, so y'all already know. I don't need to tell you this. The title sequences of this show are amazing. And, you know, we always look forward to watching them all season because they tend to change as the story progresses to reflect what's going on uh, during the season. Um, I can't remember all the differences right now because I foolishly did not write them down, but I will tell you some stuff I noticed. Like when a rock falls, you see like someone on earth, like fall to their knees and Mm -hmm. like despair or whatever. Um, You can see something going on near the end of it. um, You can see something going on on what appears to be the ring station, but it's too brief and flashy for you to see what it is, but something's happening uh, at the ring station. There's different shots with ships and things moving around. Uh, Rip Philadelphia, as always, because you see a a rock fall. But uh, forgive me, show. The rock that you showed that's supposed to be the Philadelphia rock is actually falling in Virginia. That's not (laughs) Pennsylvania. Shh, but I love you. Um, You also see at the end, because they've recently been mixing up the end where the title comes in, it looks to be Laconia now, because you can see the ship in orbit Mm -hmm. as it becomes like the title, The Expanse. And in the books, uh, Laconia was described as having like two moons or something like that. And you could see two moons, you see a bunch of ships. So it's very like it, it appears to me to be Laconia. Uh, The ship kind of gives it away more than anything else, but if you've read the books, you might notice the same things I kind of picked up on. So those are just a few things. I'm sure there's more if I think of them. Next time I'll write them down, uh, because I probably should have done that. It might be good actually to to capture these for the um, the final wrap-up episode for the entire season. Yeah, Yeah, we could go through those and and, and also share our combined thoughts over the the entire season, Um, and that would be a good one. When we get like when the episodes start releasing, actually no, it's gonna be too late. Mm. 
I forgot that we're, we're not doing this. I'll have to find a way to get like the best quality screenshots I can get of the changes for us. Um, yeah. And then when the show comes out, I'll actually tweet the high quality ones out from the tight beam Twitter to go along with it. I just not allowed to do that right now. Shannon could get in a lot of trouble, um, but I'll do that for you guys. A hundred percent. All right, so let's get into our episode breakdown. So we're going to start with Earth. Yeah, so Avicerala and Bobby survey an agricultural zone that's been devastated by the environmental changes the rocks have caused. Uh, the rocks have continued falling, but they've managed to break them up early enough that casualties are kept low, uh, but Earthers are still dying. They leave Earth to board the UNN flagship Zenobia, where Monica works as part of the press corps and is critical to Avicerella's reluctance to talk about the war and peace efforts. Avicerella knows Bobby would rather be fighting than being her assistant, so upon receiving critical intel from Holden, she tells Bobby she has a plan. I fixed it. You fixed it. I deleted a word while Fred was reading oh. it because I, I realized it was weird to read. Now it looks like you've changed it to peeing. What? Oh, here, oh here. because her thing there is there. There you go. <laughs> it's all fixed. No one can see this. <laughs> so we get to see the repercussions of the the rocks falling. It has created uh, an, an, a weather... Um, weather changes now it's snowing um where i guess in places that shouldn't be snowing um and there is still a lot of devastation that is going on people are dying crops are not yielding um so that is a new problem that not just the earthers but everybody that relies on the food sources of earth are going to have to deal with yeah, it almost feels like it's a, a nuclear winter or nuclear autumn, as yeah. they call it. Mm. Um, everyone is is wearing their winter gear. It looks really cold. Obviously, it's snowing, um, and the crops just aren't able to grow. So, is this a Christmas Christmas show now? Oh boy! <laughs> I didn't see uh. any lights. <laughs> I mean, uh, the only light you need is a Vasarala. Like she brights up everything. There True. was also no cheer. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. Yeah, the with the rocks still falling, there's still debris. Like, it's not even just, you know, rocks fell and there's debris in the atmosphere. The rocks keep falling. So yeah. there's continuously debris in the atmosphere. It's not going away. I mean, I remember, you know, the most recent thing I can remember, because a lot, a lot of recent stuff has happened where, like, stuff in the atmosphere has affected the weather. Like, the, when that volcano erupted a few years ago, and, like, it... There was so much like ash in the atmosphere that it dropped yeah. the temperatures for a couple of days. But even the fires out west, like the smoke gets blown over to us yeah, and it blocks out the sun for a couple of days. And that's it was hazy over here for, you know, days uh, because there was just such a massive fire out west and the wind blew it, you know, east and affected the weather out east. So. Yeah, I remember even for us in the summertime, um, we had a heat wave, but mm -hmm. because there was so much fire and smoke, um, we didn't actually see the temperatures uh, at, that we were forecasted to hit because the smoke was blocking it all. Yeah, like this is all stuff that's that has happened and will happen again, you know. 
Um, and it's just, you know, because Marco just keeps on dropping rocks, it's yeah. not getting any better. And Avasarali even says, like, you know, the pollutants in the soil is like the contaminants are getting worse because it's not, you know, nothing they do is enough to combat how quickly right. things are falling apart. Yeah. And oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to comment to the fact of why Marco is doing this. So Marco mm -hmm. and, and the Free Navy are pushing the rocks to Earth, not just to, to do damage to the Earthers, but to um, tie up all of their military resources in yeah. protecting the planet and blowing these rocks up. Um, they, If they're defending the planet, they don't have time to uh, chase and investigate and, and engage the Free Navy. Yep. So this is a big push for Marco and gives them the freedom to do what they want in the belt. Yeah. And as we hear in a different storyline, uh, what he's doing is actually hurting belters more than yeah. it's actually helping the Free Navy. Um, but one thing I didn't put in the notes, because it was technically part of this Earth portion, is that opening montage we get when season six opens of like different news feeds telling mm -hmm. us about the devastation, the destruction of palace, Marco's rise, the Rossi joining the war effort, Philadelphia being destroyed. That one gets me every time. That one was correct, by the way, that, that shot was correct. Rip Philadelphia. Um, but also most excitingly, the angry belter from season one. Yeah. Yes. What an epic return. What an incredible turn of events here. Like, it's the final season. We got to start the callbacks. And they get you right off the bat with this, the Angry Series Belter. It's incredible. Really great. And it sets you up for the fact that we're going to finally return to series yeah. in this episode. I really like that. And series has most definitely changed from mm -hmm. the very beginning, which is really interesting to see yeah i really liked uh in the one thing i noted from this storyline because not a lot really happens in the avasaral on earth storyline it's a lot of exposition yeah um but i really loved when monica like came approached them and uh you know said to to bobby you should impress upon her that she has constituents not subjects and Bobby looks very uncomfortable. She's like, she's aware of the distinction. And Monica <laughs> says, the one thing I always liked about you is you kind of suck at lying. Yeah. <laughs> because Bobby does not believe what she's saying <laughs> very clearly. Like, knows how Avasarala treats everyone, especially if you're criticizing her. Yeah, I, I like that moment. Because Bobby's like, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. It's good to see Monica being a part of, like, this this new this press corps like because last season we saw her as an independent in investigative journalist and now she's here kind of boots on the ground trying to get you know news of what's going on in the war out because yeah. she always has different priorities than a lot of other reporters which we'll talk about um in a future episode but mm -hmm. yeah, yeah it really speaks to how bobby is military she takes orders and she it's black or white it's there's no yeah. political gray area and monica is very very aware <laughs> so it's absarella of that gray area and that's where they they live yeah 
But yeah, Monica is still um, an independent. She doesn't work directly for the the press corps, but she's on through her reporting and and the history of the show. She's she's built up that reputation and that um, follower base that um, gives her the the clout to be there. It reminded me a lot of like. Um, I don't know if you, I, I haven't watched a lot of West Wing, so I can't use that as an example, but I have watched House of Cards. And there are a lot of scenes with members of the press corps or people who follow with the press corps doing like, like that author character. I don't know if you guys have ever watched it, but it's all, it, it kind of reminds me of those scenes where you get to see like, for example, the press's relationship with the president. Mm-hmm. And this very much like all the press corps people following uh, trying to get a headline for their respective like outlet and Monica's just like I just want like to put something out there because she doesn't as far as we know isn't working for any particular outlet but she's a well-respected you know documentarian and journalist so she probably is can just go to anybody and and be good like freelance yeah, yeah. she's a vlogger she's a vlogger <laughs> I also really liked that scene uh, with Bobby and Avasarala, with Avasarala floating. Yeah, I like in that. her in her cabin, and that line too. That line is so good when she says, um, "Maybe it's like she doesn't know why she likes floating, but she says maybe it's the lack of sensation, the whole world not pulling me down for once." Wow, so good, so good. And Bobby is clearly so uncomfortable with what's she going is. on. Or at least she doesn't know what to do. She's like, oh, no, she's floating. She's feeling emotions. What do I do? Um, but I, I also really like that conversation where Avasarala is just like, you're a fighter. You're not meant to, like, be a pres- or a, a, a general secretary's assistant. You're meant to be out there fighting. Um, and, and so here's my plan. And, of course, we heard that Avasarala speech. And I won't quote it again because it's been in the trailers and the teasers. But right. we got that that rousing speech uh, right before the episode ends about, you know, everyone fighting despite falling apart and it playing over the Rasinante crew, which we're going to get into. But like after the episode that we had and then she's like, yeah, we're broken. And I was like, yeah, we yeah, are. We are. <laughs> Things are not good. <laughs> so, yeah. So let's. Yeah, we still have a, a couple before we get to. um they're Asinante. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I actually, there wasn't a lot of things happening with the Avasarala and Bobby scenes, mm-hmm. but it was a lot of setup to what is to come. It's the the fact that Avasarala still is the chess player and she still has some, some ideas up her sleeves. So, mm-hmm. all right. So now we go to the Pella. So the Free Navy has taken Ceres Station. Marco tries to keep Philip involved in leadership, but Philip is distracted by friends, alcohol, and women. He doesn't seem as committed to the cause as he once was. Belters encourage Marco to give a speech in which he names Ceres the capital of the Belter nation. Philip is happy to help Yuan pick up women. But when Yuan brags about all the Earthers Philip killed, Philip storms out. When Marco shuts Philip down in an argument about rationing rationing, sorry, on series, he heads to the bar on the docks. The bartender rejects his advances and Philip lashes out. When Yuan tries to calm him, they fight and Philip shoots him. So uh, 
there was a lot going on here. Um, I guess like the most important part of it was just Philip um, because he is the first, I'm pretty sure he is the first one we see from that Pella, from the Free Navy. And he is, um, as Sheldon would say, um, doing coitus with a female belter. He was um, busy. He was busy. And it was interesting because Fred and I had a conversation about it. Like the way that I took his whole interaction, like his non-flippant attitude and just the carelessness that he shows it's and and even just the domination of like being with a woman and just treating them the way that they do he has a lot of control during those situations and it's not a control that he has when he is with his father when he is trying to help because all the decisions are taken away from him they are forcibly put upon him by his dad um so that's the way i saw it but you had a different take on it yeah the, the take that i kind of i got away from this this episode was that philip regrets what he did and he's having a hard time living with the deaths of millions of earthers and he's turning to alcohol and other methods of distractions to pull him out of that moment and have a short uh, focus on something else but he keeps going back and he he's swirling the drain he's deteriorating and mm -hmm. he, he's losing control um, and just being on series he doesn't have any direction or anything else to focus on so he's just rebelling um, just out of the what it feels like to me is the regret of, of killing so many people. And then when uh, Yohan brags about it, you can see in his face, he, he's just angry. He doesn't want to be known as that guy. Yeah. Yeah, I had kind of a mix of what, you know, you both kind of were thinking. Because, like, you definitely see, like, Naomi has gotten to him. Yeah. And when we ended off season five, Naomi believed she didn't. And we're led to believe that she didn't. Because, you know, Marco was all, like, focused on, you know, destroying the Rocinante. And Philip was the one who brought him back to the mission. But I feel like that was, like, in the moment, him trying to hold on to, like, not think about his mother. And not think about his loss. Because now we're seeing him. And he is doing exactly what Naomi was hoping would happen, which is regret what he's done. Yeah. Or not hoping would happen, but told him would happen. Um, that his father, you know, used him and manipulated him into, you know, killing people that in any other place Philip might not have done or in any other situation Philip might not have done. And one of the things that we saw a lot, you know, in the first, not necessarily the first episode, but one of the things you see a lot is like Philip is a, is a good person deep down and he tries when he's not, you know, swirling the drain, as as Fred said. So you, deep down, you start to realize maybe, like, he isn't what his father Thinks made him. Yeah. yeah. And the other thing I was thinking about was, like, the way he was treating, you know, the women and the situations he was in felt very much like he was trying to act like his father. Yeah. And that's not who he is as we're starting to realize as this episode continues on and how his guilt's affecting him. So I think, you know, he's, he's trying to put on this thing because he's, he's traumatized, he's guilty, and he's trying to, I guess, emulate someone who doesn't feel guilt 
about the things that they've done. And it's just not working. No. <laughs> it's not working. Uh, and, you know, it just, it's all bad. I mean, he rolls up, like, his dad's in a meeting talking about, like, the very important issue of the belts running out of food. And he just rolls up and is staring at the bartender. And it's like, yep. Philip, my man's, oh, God. Um, and then, of course, you know, when he does try and care, when, you know, Marco's like, we'll just ration Ceres' food and water because they don't need it as, as much as the war effort does or whatever. And Philip was like, we can't do that. Like, they're sa already sacrificing for us. And Marco's like, mm, we're going to talk about this in private. <laughs> Goodbye. Like, you know, Philip does care about these things, but I think he feels so shut down when he disagrees with Marco that sometimes he maybe checks out because it's like, what's the point? What's the use? We, I mean, I've been in arguments like that with, with my parents. Like you just kind of check out, you're getting yelled at and you're just like, you're right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and the thing is, is that it feels like Marco only shows affection to Philip when he's trying to uh, check off boxes in an agenda. Mm -hmm. And I think that Philip's starting to realize that that he really is not needed. He's just a means to an end. He was a means to an end to drive Naomi to the point of break. Um, so I, I, I understand where he's coming from. I just did not like this Philip at all. Did not. And, but I understand what's going on with him and just the, the rejection that he was given by the belter bartender and how he, how much he lashed out, like just shows how disheveled he is. Yeah. I also, I, I do have to say this whole, like I said earlier, you know, we're having callbacks to earlier seasons and one of the things I really liked was in this part of Marco's speech, which was, um, the inners may have thought it was theirs, but it was always ours. We forged our identities here, and now we will turn it into the jewel it was always mm -hmm. meant to be. Ceres will be the capital of our Belter nation. I put a note in here, because if, if you pay attention to the show, you'd remember Ceres was the very first colony in the Belt. It was the first one they spun up is the first one they really cord into it's the oldest one and so what he's saying here is like this is where we became belters no longer inners and so this is our home this is our place this is our capital and I, it's just so great like he's so marco has his moments you know yeah <laughs> sometimes I'm just like damn marco you right though this time a jewel so precious Yet so broken, too. <sighs> yeah. Ceres is not the place it once was. No, it was, no. For one all. reason or another. And, you know, I mean, there's no, it's hard to kind of, like, put a finger on what made Ceres what it was. Because, obviously, Miller. the last time we saw it, <laughs> Miller, the, the last time we saw it, it was an Earth-controlled colony. Yep. And, um... You know, you don't want to say, like, it was this way because Earth controlled it. Because, like, maybe Earth shouldn't be colonizing places anymore. Maybe we should have learned by now that colonization ain't great. But, yeah. you know, Belters have, have taken it now. And we don't know 
how. We don't know why. We do know Anderson Dawes was killed off sometime. Yeah. In the last six months. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Marco does mention that he was able to kill him. So, I mean, that's one way not to bring an actor back. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I will say good for Jared Harris, though. He is so in demand. Yes. Like. He good for him. Keep booking those jobs, Jared. Stay booked and busy. But it is kind of disappointing because, you know, uh, in the books, this is where Anderson Dawes returns to the story, even if for brief, even if briefly. Yeah. And he's a fan favorite character from the show. So it is disappointing he couldn't come back. Um, but at least they didn't pretend he didn't exist. Yeah. Which is what no, some I... shows do when they can't get people back. But it was shocking to hear that he was killed. Yeah. Because he was a very resourceful man. Yep. And he, he was always so much fun to watch. Yes. And I would have loved to see like him and Marco go at it. I have a fun note here I think you guys might like that I forgot I wrote. <laughs> when they're on the Pella later and Rosenfeld comes to see Marco, she gives him like a coffee. And I wrote, Marco drinks a coffee. I hope it's bad. just wrote it right there in black and white um but yeah it's this is always this is really a tough like arc to watch like for not necessarily because of marco but um to see philip like at war with himself and to see that naomi really did have an impact on him and also slowly realizing that Oh wait, this is this is we'll come back to this. I'll loop back to that. I want to save that. It's it's better served for a later discussion actually. But like we've all, we've seen the cracks between him and Marco. We've always known that there was like going to be clashes because there have been clashes in the past. Um it's a shame that, you know, Philip's war with himself ends with the loss of his friend um after last season when his other friend died. Um, this poor kid is like, you know, was thrust into a war that his father wanted yeah. and, and now he's lost, you know, two friends to this war and, and to, you know, at his own hands again. Um, and I'm sure that doesn't help with the guilt that Naomi's like awoken in him, um, that perhaps he, I don't think he considered he would feel loss because he's young yeah, and now he's seen sin die he lost one friend last season uh he lost quote-unquote lost his mother again um well he also lost uh who was the other lady that corral corral yeah yep corral died at the end of season five and now in his like pain and anger he lashed out at his friend and killed him and it's it's terrible because like Philip is young. I mean, we don't know how old he is uh, in the show. But, in his twenties. Yeah, but he's just he was basically just a kid who was like playing at this grand war for his father and for his people, and it's starting to become obvious it is probably not what his father told him it was going to be, or yeah. he ne- didn't think that it was going to come this close to his heart at least. And it's in part because of Naomi. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Anything else about the Pella and Siri station? 
All right, so let's get to Drummer's Faction. All right. Drummer, on the run from the Free Navy, sets a trap for one of the bounty hunters. When a nervous Michio hits the wrong button, they're first forced to destroy the DeWalt, leaving them with only three missiles. Joseph and Drummer, who have gotten closer, disagree on how to respond to Michio, but ultimately agree she's not meant for fighting. They tell her they intend to take her to a station to wait out the war, but she doesn't want to go. Of course she doesn't want to go. Of course she doesn't want to go. She already lost half her family. She <laughs> she wants to be with her family, and just mm -hmm. the fact that her family doesn't want her on board just just kills her. Well, I and here's the thing, like, she doesn't hear their arguments, and I think what was really nice to hear in the arguments was Drummer sticking up for Michio at every turn. Um, because in the past, Drummer has always been, like, about the fight and being tough and all that stuff and, like, you know, doing, going this way. And you have Joseph here, like, she's too weak for this, blah, and she's like, no, she's hurting. She's part of our family. I don't want to send her away. We've already lost so much. You know she's just doing her best. Like, it was just really nice to hear Drummer sticking up for her. Um, and, and Joseph's telling her that no matter what she decides he's going to he's going to side with her anyway because he trusts her and it's nice to see that how close they've gotten but like i said i think the most important part for me was seeing drummer stick up for michio like that when in the past i'm not sure if she would have well the thing is is that didn't michio also kill Carol? mhm mm to save yeah. drummer yeah yeah so she is capable, but it, it's true. She is more conflicted than everybody else. And like they were talking about, she was a mechanic prior to to being in the situation that she's in. Some people are able to grow out of the me mechanic. And uh, we do see that with, um, oh, what's his name? Um, Amos. No, not Amos. Um, who's her? Who's her boy? Peaches? No, drummer's other half. Joseph. Joseph, yes, he's he's with Micho and drummer right now. Uh, we do see that Joseph is able to push away from that mechanic role, and now he's a fighter. But Micho still has to come to terms with that. Um, and I think that a lot of it comes with like that protective um side where like they don't really want to continue pushing her to the like to do something she's not comfortable doing i mean even in season five you know joseph wanted to side with marco um so he was always like you know belt first but michio hated that you know their their freedom was coming at the cost of lives even if they were earther lives like michio was one of the people who was not into siding with marco in season five and she was clearly uncomfortable with what was what the free navy was doing um so i feel like this makes sense i mean we don't know how many people she's had to help kill yeah. up till now i mean corral was done you know in a fit of like wanting to protect drummer and you kind of see that when it happens it really affected her for like a minute like she was not thrilled that that had happened and i'm sure like it's sitting with her and the loss of you know surge and oksana and Bertold. yeah i'm sure it's like the longer it goes on the more it's wearing on her and maybe she just doesn't have like 
the ability to compartmentalize that drummer and Joseph have. Uh, and it's just really affecting her. Yep. And part of me just, just criticizes the fact that they put her in charge of that critical moment where she had to launch the, the attack. Yeah. If she was that ver uh, visually nervous and couldn't hold her finger over a button, I, I mean, pull her off and put someone else in that spot or, or do it your damn self. Like, mm -hmm. just just the fact that they put her in that position uh, was a mistake. Yeah, I do agree with that. That was a lapse of judgment. I think that they should have known how, and this is not to, to be, not to say it in a bad way, but how weak she is in terms of that fighter role. Like, you don't have to be a gunner to be on a warship. There's lots of other roles. Um, being a mechanic is a critical role for any military ship. There's going to be damage, and that needs to be fixed. And she can focus her efforts on that role. Yeah. All right. Anything else about Drummer's Faction? They definitely sad. still, yeah, it's very sad. And I think that they still have a lot of things to work on for sure. They are a broken family. Well, I was going to say sad they lost their home. That was Michio and Joseph's home. Yeah. The the DeWalt, because now they're on the Tynan, which was Drummer and, and Ashford's ship, not theirs. Yeah. But everything goes full circle. I'd rather her be there because that is more of her home than the uh like the dewalt well i wouldn't say that it's more like you know because they she was living on the dewalt before they found the tynan and she just kind of took it in because it was ashford's ship i would say like it's a shame that we didn't get to see her reaction to losing what had been her home yeah like like we did you know the others but because she was so focused on the supplies um, so it's sad they lost the home that they had with Oksana and Bertold, but you're right, it's still a full circle moment because Oksana and Bertold and, and Serge are all gone. So their home was already lost. Yeah. And well, and is it a home. home? Is it really her home now when everybody wouldn't like if you walk into that ship, you only feel the pain of it. Yeah. So I think maybe it's just a, a moment of closure for drummer that it's gone. I mean, she she threw it to the wolves immediately. She was like, "Well, we do have to stop this guy." Mm -hmm. So, so they did destroy it just at a high cost. Yeah. All right. Well, anything else on the on the drummer's faction? Nope. All right. Well, let's jump into the next section: the Rosinante. The Rosinante carries out recon missions in the belt while Holden as their new pilot, or with Holden as the new pilot. After destroying one free Navy ship, they discover a rock fitted with a fusion drive. Holden accidentally triggers it while investigating and only survives by smashing at the box until it stops. Sounds very Amos-like. Upsetting Naomi that he just didn't run. Amos and Naomi argue about Clarissa's presence on the ship, uh, where she works as Amos' assistant. Holden becomes concerned about uh, strange transits through the ring, but Amos only cares about hunting Marco. Using the data from the drive, Naomi discovers many rocks seemingly fitted with these fusion drives and references uh, to a ship called the Azure Dragon, which appears to control them. Holden sends it to Avasarela. 
When he apologized to Naomi for scaring her, she tells him she's struggling with their mission involving killing Belters and isn't sure she can keep doing it. There, there's a lot here. Oof. I When you laughed at the Amos thing, again, I keep bringing up like callbacks. I laughed out loud the first time I saw Holden smashing that box because it reminded me of uh, the second episode of the show when he was kicking the box on the night, yeah, calling it like a, a piece of a piece of crap, you know, until it started working. And I was like, this time though, it involved the F word, which he was not allowed to say. Back <laughs> yeah. But it, I la- it, like it was so dramatic, but I couldn't help but laugh because all I could think about was like Amos watching him kick the the comms on the on the night until they turn back on yelling at it it's like this is just what just what he does if you don't have a mechanic he's just gonna smash it exactly like a bigger hammer <laughs> i wanted to get the fun stuff out of the way before we talk about the less fun stuff so going back to the trailer breakdown we did see um holden uh with this device and now mm-hmm. we we get to see it is a fusion drive uh, yeah. so that's how the free navy has been launching these rocks uh, towards earth um they're all um independently powered mm-hmm. uh, probably from salvage from all the ships they've been pi- pirating yes yep there's a, there was so much going on in this storyline because naomi didn't even want to approach this rock uh, yeah. When Holden noticed something on it because she was scared that he had, you know, rigged a proximity bomb to it, like the Augustin Gamara and like the Rossi, the Rossi could have been and things like that, yeah. or the Chetzamoka uh, to the Rossi. So, like, there was a lot of like really little details in here that's just like, ah, yeah, the world is a lot, you know, scarier now because. Marco has so many tricks up his sleeve that he's taken from like Naomi and other belters that he can just hurt someone without you even going near something. Uh, And it turns out to be, yeah, it's something dangerous, but it's dangerous in a different way. Um, Just dirty underhanded tactics. Yeah. What now I got to know, what did you guys think of pilot captain Holden? I think it's a role that he deserves. It kind of feels like he has grown up through the six seasons and him sitting on his, I'm using air quotes, throne (laughs) now gives him the, that experience that he's gained over the previous five seasons where he can sit there confidently and and control and and operate the, the Rossi Um, in season one, he he did not have that experience, that knowledge and, um, or the ability to lead that he does now. And he is more confident in himself in terms of those decisions. And I mean, smashing that whole entire, uh, like, rig, I mean, that shows, um, I guess, stupidity and confidence because he knew that he would eventually get it to not work. Well, even even in his apology to Naomi, he knew he could not escape in time. If that thing blew, he was dead no matter what. So he had to stop it. Um, So thankfully it worked out. Yeah. And I I bring that up because... When Holden goes to investigate the drive, uh, he and Naomi have a conversation about how Naomi, because she saw Holden, couldn't see uh, what he was looking at, you know, hopped in the pilot seat and moved the Rocinante so she could shine a light down for him. And she didn't even think about it, but they have this conversation where she's realizing this is the first time she's ever been in the pilot seat. 
Yeah. And, um, you know, opening up to Holden about how like she never thought she was going to have to do that. And Holden telling her he felt the same way because at the end of last season, Alex bit it. And, mm-hmm. you know, still wrestling with like the guilt of that. Sorry if you can hear my dog, by the way. She really has an opinion today. Um, we, um, we, we lost you. So I'm not sure if that'll be captured by the, the Skype call. If you, oh, want that's to fine. Repeat your. Yeah. I'll- all I said was I apologize to anyone who can hear my dog because she's she's losing her mind upstairs for some reason. I don't know. Uh, she does this a lot. She's nine months old. This is what Twirl. she does. Yep, exactly. Uh, she she knows how to get our attention. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so we have like this, you know, issue of, you know, the Rossi crew has felt a loss. Um, and you see Holden's really... <laughs> At, at New York Comic Con, Steven said Holden was trying to hold everybody together. And boy, you can see it. Uh, you can see him, like, teasing Naomi because he can tell something's wrong. Um, you know, like the, the customary response is, you're welcome. Oh, another dog discussion. <laughs> they have what so many happening? good opinions. They agree um, with us. They, they agree with us. But yeah, his his little like the customary response is you're welcome, uh, you know, because he can he can tell there's something wrong or like when Amos is like, you know, I'm only here for you. So yeah. like, don't abandon the mission like Holden's like doing his best here. But like, no, like everything's just falling apart around around his ears. You know, Naomi is is suffering under the guilt of Alex's death and also like going after belters and also like losing philip amos is just like angry and wants to get back at marcos that's all he cares about and holden's just like i finally get my family back and it all is falling apart you can see it visually on their faces and the way they act this out uh, mm-hmm. what was really well done you you can see that they're drained and that they're they're stretched and at yeah. the same time I, I forget what how many days they've been 160 yeah. it was, I think it's 180 80 oh, something because it was like about six months but I yeah. forget yeah, what the yeah. last I just forget what the last digit was I want to say 187 it's something somewhere like in that, there yeah, yeah. So just having that number go across the bottom of the screen kind of gives you a little insight to how long they've been living this high stress, high tension lifestyle, um, trying to, you know, keep the world together, literally stretched to to their max. Yeah. Oh, and even you can see it in Naomi's eyes. She has dark eyes, like dark eyes, stuff like that. So yeah, she's exhausted. Like her, her and Holden, you can hear it in, in their voices and you can see it in their faces, like how worn down the two of them are. Amos is like a little different because, you know, we've talked about, I don't actually, I don't know if we've talked about it, but like Amos kind of take things a little, takes things a little differently. So he's probably not feeling the emotional strain like they are, but he's still feeling a strain because, you know, he hard to imagine a world in which Amos like straight up starts fighting with Naomi uh yeah which that was a shock um because they're also clashing over the fact that Clarissa's on the ship well uh, I mean and the, the the problem with that is and we mentioned it in the previous episode is that if she cannot accept Naomi how was she able to accept Amos um and, and that's the biggest issue that I think Amos is going through is that he almost has like a new purpose um, having Clarissa in the ship 
And I think that maybe that's the reason why he doesn't show how much things impact him because he has a new mission, a new person that he gets to hold under his wing. Um, and the moment that Naomi or somebody expresses uh, a, a lack of desire to have her there, that's when he gets defensive because they could have done the same thing to him. Yeah. There's also like, so the one thing we never really got, we got Holden and Naomi talking about what Naomi did in season two when she, you know, deceived all of them and gave the sample to Fred Johnson when she thought that they were going to die. And, you know, she apologized to Holden for lying to him and for hurting him. We never saw that conversation with Amos and her and Amos were like thick as thieves. You know, they were mm. close as hell when the series started, like they both hated Holden. It was, it was an entirely different world. Um, and so we never saw them get that closure that she and Holden had. So he, when, when she calls him out on just bringing Clarissa on and her, her perception that it's, you know, re to replace Alex, um, you know, the first thing Amos does is like, well, like you've made decisions without discussing it with mm -hmm. me before. So what gives you the right to get mad at me for doing the same thing? Right. And he has a point. Um, you know, they never talked about it. She never talked about her feelings with him. She never told him why she did it like she did for Holden. She didn't give him, as far as we know, and now we're discovering that same closure. So, or if, if she did, uh, he remembered at least the hurt that he felt so that when Naomi starts criticizing him for doing that to her, he feels like he has the right to to call her out on that. Yeah. And I mean, Amos isn't afraid to call you out on on your BS. I mean, not that Naomi's BSing him. Like she those are her honest feelings. But he's not one to shy away from pointing out the obvious. Yeah. And she had hurt him with that. So now she's lashing out at him again because she's coming from a place of hurt and he's he puts almost like reminds her that it's nothing she hasn't done to them before. Whether that's right or wrong, and we're not going to argue that because, like, Amos has his reasons even if he can't um, say them. Because we know we know what Amos's reasoning is, but he'll never outright say it to Holden and Naomi. He's not that kind of person. He's not um, that kind of guy. He's not that guy. Uh, but this is his way of, of making his point. You know, that, that he doesn't he shouldn't get criticized for doing something that she did because that's not exactly. fair. And yeah. he's right. It isn't fair. Um, and it, it just hurts to see them fighting because they were like they were the team well, when this siblings, show started. Siblings fight, right? Yeah. The, the sibling that Amos would do if if she let him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Never forget Awkward. one of the greatest scenes of the show. It's like, uh. Ever. Cersei and um, what's her brother's name? Jamie. Oh, Jamie. Jamie or like <laughs> Dexter and his sister. Yeah. There's also uh, Holden has discovered what happened at the end of season five with the barkeep. He doesn't know what happened, but he knows something has happened. Uh, and he's very concerned about this, but nobody else is. <laughs> Amos is straight up like, dude. We have a mission. Yep. Do not. 
I mean, I the only reason I'm not repeating his line is because A, I've already said it, and B, that hurt my that hurt me so deeply that he would be so that he would just he's good to leave. He's good to he's like, I'm only here because you're here. And if you weren't here, I would be drinking myself to death. Yep. Like the fact that he's like so willing to like whatever's going on with between him and Naomi, he's so willing to like pack up that relationship if anything happened to Holden. And Naomi is is at the breaking point where she would also leave if they keep kept having to do this. It's just so hard to watch after all the growth they had and they were finally like all on the same page. But this war has just broken them all down. And Holden is just doing his absolute best to to keep them together. And it's just so painful to watch, especially like that last shot of Holden when Naomi tells him her feelings. You can just see how it's taking a toll on him trying to to keep them going the way he is. Um, and he's resilient, which is my favorite thing about him. But like, how long can you keep being that backbone? For your team before it starts to break you. Sucks. It hurts to watch. All he wanted was his family back. All season five. And all he gets is endless suffering. Yep. All right. Anything else with the Rossinante? I think I said all my feelings. <laughs> if you, I want to hear, do you guys have any feelings? Because I said a lot of feelings. No, just that there, there's a lot more to come. Uh, I'm sure this is just setting up the beginning of season six, and yeah. I bet there's going to be a, a reconciliation between the crew, um, and I fully expect that to come. And also an acceptance of how much things have changed yes. and the, the, the need to accept the fact that things have changed, both in terms of the crew's relationships and just the things that they've gone through. Yeah. All right, so the last one, Laconia. A little girl watches for creatures on an alien planet. While feeding sunbirds, a strange-looking creature she likens to a dog comes out to see her. She's distracted when the mother bird begins to show signs of distress and runs the bird home. As she runs, we see that we are at ring number 673, planet 2, Laconia. A strange ship orbits the planet, which is covered with the ruins seen on Illus. So, the first thing I want to say, and it's the very first thing I told Fred when I saw this particular moment, is it brought me back to Jurassic Park 2. <laughs> no, the little Jurassic girl, Park 2. Don't do this. When the little girl is on the beach... She's by herself. Her parents are not there anymore. She sees those little dinosaurs and she so starts scary. to feed this. them. And it, I got those vibes. I was like, this little girl, if I did not read the book, she did. <laughs> like, that, you really captured, like, that is one of the most dread inducing scenes for me to watch to this day yeah. is well, that we, beach scene. We we know what those dinosaurs are capable of from the first movie. Where here in, in this sequence, we don't know what yeah. that animal is capable of. We'll find out, uh, I'm sure, in, in future episodes. But in this particular episode, I am just terrified for that little girl. And I think she's going to lose her head any moment. <laughs> I, I will and, say that dog be cute. 
but you don't know if it's deadly. I I do I still think it's cute though. <laughs> it kind of like makes me think of those um those hybrid vampires from Blade Three. <laughs> Stop. We're just making so many references today. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> God, don't don't make me think about Blade Three. <laughs> I'm I'm still recovering. I, I don't think day. the world can recover from Blade Three. <laughs> the best thing was how how attractive uh, Ryan Reynolds was, as well as mm. was it Jessica Biel? Yes. She was. All, I I should have realized I was bisexual when I saw that movie. <laughs> But I mean, Ryan Reynolds, beautiful disaster in that film. Never forget. But God, do not remind me of the hybrids. <laughs> like you guys are taking me to all of like the most traumatic so, moments just, of my life. Just picture the the hybrid vampire <laughs> cross matched with the cat from Doctor Evil's lair. Oh no! And, um, not Mr. Bigglesworth. Was that his name? Yes. After the cryo. After the cryo. Obviously. Clearly. (laughs) He's so cute, though. He is cute. I would buy one if they released toys of that. And Daisy would, too, obviously. Yeah. She's yelling again. She's agreeing on that. Yeah. Yeah. She would eat it. Um, So I actually had a question for you guys about about this segment. Mm -hmm. So one of the criticisms of season four was the fact that Illus didn't have any of the vegetation or the creatures that were described in the book. Um, And part of that they did explain was a cost issue because of all the other things they had to do. Um, How, so I I wanted to ask, how did you feel about that? And did this opening scene here and all of the alien creatures it gave us in just that first scene kind of at all, give you any satisfaction for any kind of negative feelings you might have had because i know personally i wasn't super upset if you have to make concessions for me it makes sense to cut some of the animals because they're not you know they're fun i love the mimic lizard but they're not central to the story whereas here it is so i really wanted to hear your thoughts on on that well i i kind of took it as you know there there's thousands of planets out there um ellis used to be full of life that's kind of the way i took it and now it is a dying planet because of the um people that have taken it over so i wasn't surprised to see less animals than maybe the the book described um so i i was fine with it we did see some we saw the slugs obviously and a couple other the the, the flying metal bug things nasty boys yeah that shredded everyone but and in this planet, we have teeming with life. That makes perfect sense. We're we're going to get different ecospheres everywhere. So mm-hmm. uh, I had no negative thoughts towards Illus, and I appreciate what they brought here. Well, I think it's also like I saw it in a storytelling perspective is that in Illus, the purpose was not the wildlife. It wasn't the animals. It wasn't that. It was the idea that there was a new colony being built so the story needed to be revolved around that i feel like if they brought in too much wildlife into Mm -hmm. illis they wouldn't have been able to give it as much justice whereas with this particular 
storyline, the purpose is the wildlife of different planets mm-hmm. and their purpose and, and the, the, the cascade of effects that these animals have on one another. Um, yeah. So I see more of that purpose and I appreciate that now we're focusing on the beauty of those animals. Mm-hmm. Whereas an illist, I think it would have been, it wouldn't have been the perfect place to do that. Right. We would have been left wanting more and we couldn't have been able yeah. to receive it. Nice. Thank you. All right. So anything else about this episode? I I don't have anything about this episode, but I said I would tell you guys a quick story and I wanted to do it, you know, towards the end. I didn't want to be just interrupting, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so last night was my reunion, my high school reunion. I won't tell you how many years. And um, (laughs) I I saw a bunch of friends that, you know, I used to do activities with when I was in high school. And one of them was my best friend in high school, Molly. Um, Now, Molly and I used to go to the movies a lot. Molly is the friend I saw Sky High and the Covenant with. So last night, I'm I'm talking to them. I'm talking about, you know, we're all talking about what we've been up to. And I said, Molly, I got to tell you something. So what? I was like, you remember like Sky High? She's like, yes. And I said, you know how we saw the covenant? Her reaction to the covenant was my favorite. She was like, not the covenant. Um, yes, the covenant. And I, I said, I got to tell you, I got to tell you something. Like, apparently, and I, I did say it exactly like that. Apparently, I'm buddies with, with War and Peace and the, the sweaty guy, <laughs> the sweaty guy from the covenant. And she was like, oh, my God, no. And so I showed her, like, the picture from New York Comic Con 2019 and, and she was like, oh, my God, that's insane. Like, her her reaction was so funny. Um, and, you know, of course, now we got to talk about how the Covenant's having a resurgence because Sebastian Stan is in it. Yeah. <laughs> because everybody <laughs> loves Sebastian. She was like, I couldn't even see the Winter Soldier because all I could think about was the Covenant's. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I it was really nice to kind of, you know, go to my reunion and talk about the Expanse. But, like... Also kind of link back, you know, my my connection to the show now as it's about to end with like how I became a fan of like this dude in the first place, which was with my best friend going to see Sky High because we were teens and it was directed at us. Um, So like it was really it was really nice. But of course, I have no voice because I had to yell all night. So anybody wonders why I sound like this. Yeah. Too much mingling, if you ask me. Just kidding. It was good to see everyone. It's good to exist. Awesome. But yeah. No, I love it. It's <laughs> really funny. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Present Shannon here. Last night was the premiere party for season six. We had a great time. And of course, as soon as we started watching the episode, that epic Telltale Games trailer for The Expanse dropped, uh, a video game that takes place before we meet Kamina Drummer in the show. It is about Kamina Drummer. I'm very excited. I can't wait to play it. I would love to hear your thoughts on the trailer. So look out for a tweet after this episode drops uh, or before, whichever happens first whatever you see first and let us know your thoughts on that trailer are you going to play it are you excited to get to see where uh where drummer was 
before the story starts for her? Are you excited to just play drummer? Because I know I try to emulate drummer every day and now I can finally be her. I am so excited. And the game looks, it just feels like it takes place in the Expanse world. Except for that shotgun shell, but we'll get to that. Also, what did you think of the Expanse uh, Ankawala short? Uh, we're going to find a way to have discussions about the shorts as separate mini episodes. But we want to hear your thoughts so that we can include them in those mini episodes. Look out for a tweet about that. We can talk about, uh, you know, Naomi and Drummer's relationship and how Michio and Joseph feel about Drummer's continued feelings for Naomi. Most importantly, we want to know how you felt about the first episode of season six, Strange Dogs. We waited weeks to get your thoughts and opinions and feelings on this episode, and we would love to hear from you. Please look out for that tweet, because starting in next week's episode, the episode for episode two of season six, we will be sharing your opinions like we did in episodes past uh, where we recorded weekly as the show aired. So look out for those tweets, send us your opinions, and you may hear your answer on the tight beam next week. Thank you so much for listening. Let's cut back to the past. All right. So if that is all for us, um, let us know um, how you felt about this first episode of the season, Strange Dogs. Um Leave us an email at the tightbeam at randomchatter.com. Follow us on Twitter and tweet us about how much you loved it at the tightbeam at random chatter. You can find me on Twitter at catsbears. That's K A T Z B E A R Z. Fred, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at Freddy Wan Kenobi. That's F R E D D Y W O N Kenobi. And Shannon, where can they find you? You can find me almost anywhere at shankbeezy. And you can also find our show and many other shows at randomchatter.com. You can also help us spread the word. Leave reviews. It is time. This is our, our moment. We're covering a new season. So this is the best time to let us know how we're doing and to, like, you know, give people a reason to listen to us. So go to your podcast platform of choice, leave us a review, or just drop us a rating. It'll help us get noticed by more people who are looking for podcasts, and maybe we can get more listeners as we cover the last season of the show. You can also share us on social media. Listen, just because we're pre-recording this doesn't mean you can't answer, you know, my questions, because who knows, maybe I'll just record myself reading your answers and plug them in so that you can still, you know get your voice heard so you know talk to us on the social media share our new episodes who knows what will happen i have no hobbies except to edit this podcast uh you can also tell your friends about us uh as we're going this last season if anybody's looking for a discussion podcast about the expanse they can 100 percent come listen to us so let them know tell them what you like about us word of mouth is so valuable in fan spaces that anything you tell them to get them to listen to us would be great. Even if it's just, you know, there's dogs in the background, you know, it's great. 
And some final housekeeping things. All the music that you hear in this episode is Ursa Minor by Cell Dweller. And all trademarks are owned by their respective owners. Thank you, and remember the cat. Remember the cat.